Happy Halloween, fiends. This is Isabel. Happy Halloween. It's Andrew. And welcome to Paraffin Podcast. Welcome back. Second day in a row. Yeah. And it's good old Halloween and it's candy day. Yep. Hopefully uh, all your those of you with kids have them um, crashed out with sugar now. Yeah. And now you get to listen to some spooky tales. Absolutely. And hopefully you might be dipping into their, their stash too. Oh, I know I am. Yeah, what are you gonna what are you gonna take? I'm always hunting for the butterfingers. I'm looking for the Reese's. What's that uh coconut one you like? Almond Joys. Yeah, I don't like those. Oh, I know. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't like coconut. I don't know why. It's just not my thing. I mean, that's fair. Texture, I think. I think yeah. it's a texture thing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's how most people are. Yeah. So I've got something as a surprise that I didn't even tell you about. Oh, really? Yep. So this morning when I was driving, it was uh, pretty early, so pretty dark out. And as I was driving, there was a series of like three or four like lights, like orbs of light that just jumped in front of the car as I was driving. Really? Yeah. Ran across in front of the car and just off into the trees. How far ahead of the car were were they? Oh, I mean, they they must have been like just a foot away from the bumper. Really? So like the headlights. So at that point, you would think that the headlights would pick up an animal yeah. if they're that close, but this didn't show anything. No, it, there was nothing, just the lights. It was super strange. That is weird. Where where was that at? Uh, over there past the construction on the overpass. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's like farmland out there and like no, no street lights or anything. Yeah. No, just like trees on both sides of the road and a little bit past that farmland. Oh, it's spooky out there. Yeah, it can get kind of creepy. Yeah, it makes me not want to go back out there ever again. Right? I have no idea what it was. It was just like weird and I didn't know what to think of it. Well, thanks. Now, now every time I drive that way, I'm going to worry. I'm going to run into some weird lights. You got to keep an eye out for those lights. <laughs> yeah. So this is a uh, part two of our two part special. And this is this is my day. That's right. It's your time to be out of breath the entire time we're talking. I know. And this one's long, too. So hold on, right? Yeah. Um, We're going to be talking about the Lutz family, which is actually the family that moved in after the DeFeo murders. Oof. Yeah. So they didn't have the greatest time in this house. So we're just going to jump right into it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. In December of 1975, 13 months after the slaying of the DeFeo family, the Lutz family was searching for a place to call their own, and they were thrilled to find a beautiful three-story home with a basement on the water at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. Now, they were able to snag this home at a bargain at only $80,000. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we can all kind of guess it was because of the horrors that had taken place there. Yeah, I wonder why it was so cheap. Jeez. Right. So they were they were also able to buy all the furniture that once belonged to the DeFeos for a small fee. How much? I think, I, if I remember correctly, it was about $400 oh. added into the mortgage. <laughs> added into the mortgage. Yeah. So I, if I remember correctly, it was Luis's dad, mm-hmm. um, the one that owned the the dealership, yeah. you know, the Buick dealership. Yeah. He he didn't want the furniture, which I don't blame him. Yeah, I, I do him. not blame him for that at all. And the Lutzes wanted it. So they negotiated and got it for a, a still. Yeah. I mean, he's got a lot going on. I can't imagine he wants to deal with all that furniture and like a family's worth of stuff. A hundred percent. However... 
I wouldn't want it. Oh, no. I wouldn't want that either. I would not want that in my house. I would not want furniture that I had known that not only had Butch sat on, mm. but maybe... I don't... See, I don't know exactly what furniture was part of this deal. It just said most of it. So did that include the beds? Probably not the mattresses. I don't know. Well, just the... Even the frames. Yeah. No thanks. You know what I mean? So... You said it sat for 13 months. Yeah. So that would... Uh, furniture is like houses and furniture, like if they sit empty for too long or just sit stagnant, they they don't stay very well. Right. So I can't imagine it was in like great shape. Yeah. Okay. So they moved... Uh, they, they quickly moved in and it was almost immediate that they realized they had made a huge mistake, which... Oh boy. Go figure. Um, now, we're going to back up just a bit and get some background information on the Lutz family. Okay. Now, as we talked about yesterday, I watched a few documentaries. Um, yeah, and, a ton. Yeah. In pre uh, preparation for my half of the Amityville story. And the ones that I... There was like one that I watched. It was called My Amityville Horror. Um, it's essentially a documentary centered around the Lutz's eldest son, Daniel. And he goes by Danny. Um, okay. He was nine at the time that they lived in the house. It's a young age. Right. Um, I also watched other documentaries and interviews where the other family members told their sides of what happened inside the Amityville house. But I also read the book, The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. So this story is kind of like pieced together from all the families and the books like separate accounts. Jeez. Yeah. Well, first of all, props to you for doing all this research. Like oh, I did book reading, so much. documentary watching, and keeping up with everything else. I think there were like nine movies made um, about the Amityville house. And there's like four big books yeah. written about it. But there's like countless documentaries and articles and like smaller books. That's just the nonfiction. Oh my gosh. They're, yeah. Well, no, that's that's with, you know, a little bit of flair added to them as well. Oh, I'm talking about like the Hollywood productions. Yeah, well, the uh, the nine movies we're talking about, like the Hollywood productions okay. too. gotcha. Yeah, there, but there is so much that has been done sure. about this. This is a wild ride. So buckle up, keep all extremities safe, and hold the fuck on. Uh, Danny Lutz and his two siblings, Missy and Chris, were super young when their biological father split from their mother, Kathy, and took off. Danny stated he quickly became the man of the house, even though he was only seven years old at the time. Man, good on him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a lot of responsibility for a seven-year-old. Yeah, he probably grew up really quick. Yeah, you'd have to. Uh, but about a year later, Kathy met and married a man named George Lutz. Uh, George was an ex-Marine, recently divorced, and extremely well-to-do. He was also reportedly very controlling. Huh. What does this remind you of? Yeah, seeing a commonality here. Right. Um, so apparently, George struck up a deal with the kid's biological father. George wanted uh, the bio dad to exit their lives like 100% and sign over all rights to George. And the bio father agreed. Wow. Um, yeah, soon all three kids were legally adopted by George. So their birth certificates were changed and so did their last names to Lutz. So he just was like, yeah, I'll bail. And yeah, George took it over everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can only imagine watching their biological father split and watching him, you know, sign over all right. And this new man come in and be like, I'm your new father in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's a lot of change really quickly. It really is. 
So at the same time, they began searching for a large home, um, something big enough to house them all where they weren't constantly stepping on each other. So at this point, in comes the Amityville house. Yeah, a really cheap solution for some strange reason. Yeah. Um, When they went to view the house, Kathy approached all three kids and told them that a very bad thing had happened there, that there had been several people murdered in the home and asked if that would bother them. Apparently, the entire Lutz family hadn't even known about the massacre until that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, all three children were like uber small at this point. I mean, Danny was nine, Chris was seven, and Missy was five. And they they just kind of said, yeah, that'll be fine. But I mean, could they really say that confidently? I, I don't think any of them probably had a great concept of what murder even was. Yeah, I don't even think that they would be registering the fact of like, you know, hey, now you guys are going to have to deal with being the kids in the neighborhood who live in the murder house. Yeah. And I mean, I can't even remember being that young. And I feel like if my mom had come up to me and was like, hey, you know, all these people were murdered in this house. Are you going to be okay living here? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Because I wouldn't know any better. Right. Like, hey, do I get my own room? Oh, cool. Like, I think most kids kind of like understand that death is kind of like, oh, somebody disappears and they never come back. But they don't. I don't think they fully grasp it. It, It's something that you learn when you're older. For sure. So that's probably, they probably didn't understand. Um, Regardless, though, it seemed the entire family was pretty stoked to move into the house. Danny stated that he was thrilled about the potential for making the boathouse into his little hangout spot and was optimistic that they could make this house a home. So you've got like this three-story house in this basement. It's a real it's a pretty big house. And and I mean it's sitting on the water. And in yeah. the back, you've got a whole boathouse and a garage. Like yeah. I would want that. That'd be pretty cool. You know, as a kid, I'd be like, a boathouse? Yeah. This is fucking cool. A waterfront clubhouse? Hell yeah. Yeah. So um, apparently George and Kathy decided to have the house blessed upon their moving in. Smart. So they called in Father Ray. Um, his real name was Father Ralph uh, Pecorero. Um, apparently, they had known him two years prior. He had helped them out before they were married or something like that. Okay. Probably yeah. like premarital counseling or something. Maybe. I don't, it didn't specify. Um, but the whole blessing with the house thing, apparently, that was a norm, uh, like a normalcy back then. Okay. People were bringing in priests all the time to have their houses blessed. It was, that was a thing. I, they Lutz has just had a little more reason to do it. Right. Well, they didn't know, but I mean, you know, or at least you get what I'm saying. They didn't know the extent. Right. So Danny recalled seeing Father Ray coming over when they were about a quarter of the way in unloading the moving truck. He stated he get, he began to feel like there was something off about the situation immediately, but he just continued to uh, unload the truck. Father Ray went into the home and began the blessing ritual. He made it upstairs to one of the rooms when he stated he distinctly heard a disembodied voice tell him to get out. And then he was slapped across the face. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. No, if like, okay, so I'm not a priest, obviously. But if I'm coming over to bless a house and I walk into a room and I'm like, oh, this room feels kind of sketch. And then I get slapped in the face and get told to get out. Dude, I'm going to come back with some bigger guns. I... I don't even know what I would do, honestly. I, I think I would personally, you know, I'm not a priest either, but I, if if I went into a house and that happened, 
I think I'd piss myself. Damn near, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Danny stated that he was picking up a box that was meant for the playroom when he saw Father Ray leave their home quickly without saying a word to anybody. Yeah, he just got slapped in the yeah, face. So this this father, he just jetted. He didn't say nothing to nobody. He was just out. Well, that's kind of rude. I, that's kind of what I thought, too, honestly. I was like, you could at least warn him, but apparently he didn't. So Danny asked his mother what that was about, but his mom brushed it off and said she didn't know and that maybe he'd come back. And if he didn't, then they would just see him on Sunday at church. Okay. So, I mean, kind of kudos to mom, you know, probably trying to not freak her kid out. Sure. Uh, they didn't find out until much later when Father Ray got in touch with them on Christmas Eve what had happened upstairs when he performed the blessing. And wait, when did they move in? Uh, sometime in December. There's not an actual date. Okay. So, I mean, it could have been days. It could have been weeks. Sure. Um, I don't really know. Okay. So it's not like six months or something. No. I mean, it was pretty It was pretty quick, but still. Yeah. I, I would have. I would have preferred that he had told them that day. But that didn't happen. Yeah, no, definitely. So he also informed the Lutzes that he had developed a high fever and blisters all over his hands after he'd left. What? Yeah. Okay. So after Danny saw Father Ray jet out, he took one of the boxes upstairs and was greeted by four to five hundred flies in the playroom. What? What does this remind you of? The almonds yeah. house. So I'm like, hmm, that's kind of strange. Um, now, this was mid-December in Long Island. There shouldn't have been any flies. And this just, like I said, takes me back to the, the Almond's Alms. house because yeah. they, they said that there was hundreds of flies and it was like in the middle of winter. Nope. They were also swarmed with um, black flies, apparently. So it's not just that. It's like the same type of flies, it seems like. Okay. So yeah. Very black strange. flies are demon flies. Got it. I guess so. So Danny said that he called for his mom, and they were both stunned at seeing the swarm. Danny stated that he grabbed a newspaper to begin killing the flies and got about a hundred of them. Which that's, a that's lot. it is a lot. But if there is like seriously four to five hundred, I'm assuming that. I mean, imagine that many flies. And I don't know how how big this room is. But I could imagine just being able to swat them, you know what I mean, and getting a bunch of them. I'm just more imagining killing a hundred flies, seeing like a hundred dead flies on the floor that you just swatted with a newspaper, and there's still four to three hundred of them on the walls. Would be like, no. Yeah. So check this out. So Danny stated that he set the newspaper down and he turned away for a moment, and when he turned back, all those dead flies were gone. And the newspaper he had just laid down was also gone. What? Yeah, they were just gone. Just vanished? Just vanished. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's red flags right out the gate. But also, he said that no matter how many flies they killed, they just wouldn't go away, which mm -hmm. is another almond situation. Dude, this is move-in day. Right. This is day one. So after they'd gotten completely moved in, they began to undergo some changes, and not good ones personalities began to change and there were violent mood swings. Kathy was withdrawing into herself and began to keep secrets, which was super unlike her. She got to a point to where she would never, like she never wanted to leave the home, not even to run errands. Like she became like a recluse. Huh? Yeah. What kind of secrets was she keeping? She just wasn't telling anybody anything. Oh, she was just kind of like withdrawn. 
So George stated that he was always cold in the house and he could never warm up. He would put towels like under all the doors to keep drafts at bay. And he was keeping the furnace like cranked all the way up and was constantly chopping wood to keep the fireplaces going. Like he was legit cold. At least it's good exercise. I mean, yeah, for sure. But um, though... It's been said that George was always a bit aggressive. Apparently, his aggression took a hard turn to a new level. He began to get sick and lost a ton of weight, and his personal hygiene was suffering as well. Really? Yeah. So Kathy made a statement that she felt the house made men violent while trying to charm women. Yeah, that's a really creepy way to think about a house. Yeah, like like the house is like, oh, what's up, women? And then just like, I hate men, I guess. I don't know. It's very odd. That is super odd. Yeah. So there was a room upstairs that Kathy was planning to use as her sewing room. And George reported that he spoke to Father Ray, who told them to not use that room for anything other, like, do not use it for a bedroom. Like, whatever you do, do not use it for a bedroom. Like, nobody needs to stay in here. Yeah, that's the slap in the face, blister hands room. That is. That is exactly the room where he heard the entity tell him to get out. Nailed it. Yeah. So he also reported that he began to wake up every morning around 3.15 a.m. completely restless and hearing strange noises. Now, as you said, during the DeFeo part of the story, that's like the suspected time that Butch went on his killing spree. It's also the witching hour, isn't it? 3 Uh, 3 a.m., yeah. Yeah. And this is 3.15. So, I mean, it's in the window. Yeah. So I know that they said that, like, I guess the coroner said between uh, 3 and 4 that the DeFeos were murdered. Yep. But a lot of people argue that it was like at 3.15, which I don't know how they know that, but that's what they say. So Danny stated that his parents began to take wooden spoons to the kids and ordered them around the house like George was like a drill sergeant. Apparently, this happened a lot. Falling back into his Marine Corps days. Yeah, well, that's what I thought, too. But apparently, even though he was aggressive, that had never been a thing until they moved into the house. And now he was like drill sergeant, uh, drill sergeanting them. So he was really like a in-command person when... They, the family like synced up and then they get into the house and it just goes over the top. Yeah. Like his aggression just went like right over a hill. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, the children were not allowed to call George anything but sir or Mr. Lutz, even though he was their adoptive father. Like you would think that they would call him dad or at the very least George, if like they weren't comfortable with calling him dad. Sure. But sir, Mr. Lutz. Yeah. That's crazy. And, I mean, the wooden spoons are just, that's too much. Yeah. um, And judging from, like, how crazy this is getting, it was probably for, like, anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So, now, one has to wonder how much of this was the house and how much was just the lack of parenting skills that George had and his need to feel control. Right. Um, You know, George didn't have any biological kids. He, He walked into this with three kids, didn't know what he was doing. And, you know, he came from, I guess, the military. And I know that that's not the case with everybody. Sure. But, I, you know, we, we just don't know. Yeah. So the family began to notice that there were cold spots in specific places in the home. Now, remember, George kept the house super warm. So there shouldn't have been any cold spots at all. Right. Furnace was a blazing. Right. But they were noticeably there in like the hallways and in some of the rooms. It was said that you would walk like five feet and hit a cold spot that was like a 20 degree difference. 20 degrees is a big difference. It is a big difference. Like that's noticeably different. Yeah. Like imagine like 32 being freezing 
and then 50 being 52 being a 20 degree like that's a wild change it is it really is so the next incident i saw two different reports of i'm not i'm going to assume that they both happened just like at different times but i'm not really sure so danny stated that one day him and george were outside by the garage when the garage door lifted and began to slam up and down over and over like all the way up and down yeah like just- up down up down just slamming and when you say slamming, I think pretty fast. Like, yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. I mean, like, that's just the way that they described it is oh. that it just began to slam up and down over and over. Dude, that's another huge red flag yeah. to get out. I mean, after day one, they should be like, maybe this was a mistake and just get the fuck out. But like, they stayed. Yeah. And I, I don't know. So at this time, their dog was going like super ballistic. For good and reason. they looked up at Missy's bedroom and like at her window. And they saw what looked like a cartoon character, angry pig, staring at them with wolf-like teeth and glowing red eyes. They both ran into the home and immediately upstairs to her room. There was a rocking chair inside her room that was apparently rocking back and forth. George went to the chair and, like, picked it up and, like, fully examined it. But he could not come up with a logical explanation for why it was happening. So, when you said the pig part, I was thinking, like, the green pigs from Angry Birds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was like that. Like like that, but with like red eyes and wolf teeth. I don't I don't know. I I there's not a picture of yeah, it, well, but I mean, yeah. I who knows. That that's just the way that they described it. So, uh the other account came from George. He state he stated that him and Kathy were in Missy's room talking to her because they were like super worried about her. She seemed to be doing really poorly in the home which I can only imagine why. Sure. Uh, They looked over at the window and noticed the same angry pig as I described before um, in the window. Right. Angry bird's pig. Yeah. Like, sure. So now obviously they freaked the fuck out. And Missy told them that that was just her friend Jody. Um, And Jody had told her how happy he was that she was there and that she was staying forever. Oh. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So they look over to the window and they see this demon pig. Mm Mm-hmm. Outside the window? Yeah. It was like outside the window, which is fucked up because they're not on the ground level. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a floating demon pig. Uh-huh. And mm. apparently this is like her friend. Who's going to keep her in the house forever. Yeah. Okay. So they also began to notice there were like hoof-like footprints around the home in the snow. Okay. Yeah. So more demon pig activity. Right. So they were hearing footsteps and screams pretty much every night. Screams? Screams. Uh, The kids were saying really off-the-wall things. It didn't say what they said, but I can can only imagine. All right. And, okay, bear with me, but they said their toilets in China turned black. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how that would be a thing, but that's what they said. So, like, porcelain? Toilets are made of porcelain. Do you think the China was also like a porcelain type thing? I mean, I mean potentially. Yeah. So, and I mean, wow. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an explanation for it either. I was trying to come up with one. Yeah. I don't think there loud. is one, truly. Yeah. So one night, Danny and George got into a really bad fight and Danny stormed away. He made it to the second floor landing when he reported that he was thrown up the stairs and into a wall. Now, his mother was apparently about 15 feet behind him and witnessed the whole thing. Danny got to his feet and stated that him and his mother just like stared at each other, unsure of what to say. They were probably just both shocked. Yeah, sure. If you get thrown, like, okay, if 
you claim like, oh yeah, I was pushed down the stairs. And it's like, oh, maybe you tripped or something. You know, you're just clumsy. But when you get thrown up the stairs. I know. Whoa. There's no disputing that. Yeah. And into a wall. Yeah. That's like with some force. Yeah. That's crazy. It's not a gentle toss. Right. So apparently like as they're like, you know, staring at each other, Danny's mom like jumped as though something touched her. Then Danny could feel whatever it was enter into him. He Ooh. stated it felt like the numbness you get after being shocked. Oh, I don't like that. Then the entity said from somewhere in the room, it is you. What does that mean? Have no idea. I No clue. Ugh. So Danny fully believes that he was possessed in that moment. I mean, Okay, for good reason. That sounds pretty possession-y. Yeah. So Danny's brother, Chris, began to report that he was seeing a shadowy figure moving about the house. It was the shape of a man and it would like move toward him and then dissipate. I don't like that either. One day, George was in the boathouse and noticed what appeared to be a green slime, which he lovingly called poltergeist puke, oozing (laughs) all over the place. So... On January 6th, they began to take down their Christmas decorations, and it said that all hell broke loose. They began to notice an incredibly foul uh, foul smell. They would open all the doors and windows, but it didn't help, and they couldn't tell where it was coming from. That's weird that it happened when they were taking their Christmas decorations down. I thought that too, um, because you remember how the DeFeos apparently had like all this religious stuff in their yard? Right, the they shrine probably, that the girl was throwing rocks at. Right. They probably had that in their home, too, because they were Christians, right? Like, they believed in God. Right. If they have it on their lawn, they're going to have it in the home. And if they bought all their furniture, yeah. I bet there's, like, stuff like that inside the home as well. And if they're using, like, the DeFeo Christmas decorations, perhaps, Ooh. I bet that there's, like, a lot of, like, crosses in there and, like, you know, a nativity yeah, set yeah. and stuff like that. And I don't know if if... Well, okay, so we find out later that George is a is a non-practicing Methodist. Okay. So he does believe in God, and we'll get more into that because that gets really crazy. Yeah, I mean, they have a priest come by and do a blessing on the house. So, I mean, you would think like when the Christmas decorations went up, the demons would be like, what the fuck is this? But right. when they came down... They got pissed. I I don't really kind of get it, but it is very strange. Maybe it was like warding them away a little bit when they were up. And then when they came down, it like opened the door. That's That's a good point. I don't know. So one day, Danny was trying to open the window in his playroom when Chris came in to check on him. He managed to get the window up. And it slammed down on both sets of his fingers on both hands. It took several people to get this window back up. Oh, so this dude's hand, fingers are just jammed in the window like, while yeah. other people are... He's probably screaming and... oh man, I can only imagine awful. how much that hurt. I mean, I've slammed my finger in a car door and that's bad. Yeah. And this was like all of them. Yeah. He went downstairs with his mom who was getting some ice to put on his hand when they noticed the back door began to slide open very slowly. Mm. Now... <laughs> so for some reason, the slowly part of that makes it worse. Yeah. So this is how Danny put it. He said, then a spirit walked inside where it bumped into Kathy before knocking the peanut butter and jelly from the counter onto the floor. It then sat down at the dining room table. All right. So it doesn't like PB&J. I guess so. And then it decided it it just wanted to chill with him and sat down at the dining room table, I guess. All right. Personally, I think I would have freaked the fuck out and like took off. Like I would have been up and out. This is the point where you're leaving. 
I mean, well, okay. I would have left a long time ago, but in this particular situation, like if I was in our <laughs> kitchen and I'm like trying to make a PB and J and the back door opens and this ghost like walks in and is like, Hey, what's up? I want one. And and then just like sits down next to me. Yeah. I'd be the fuck out of there. Ghost walks in, slaps a sandwich out of your hands, sits down at the table and is like, what's on the menu? Yeah, pretty much. No, no I'm out. But they didn't do that. All right. <laughs> Kathy went to put ice on Danny's hands. And when they turned back to the ghost, it was gone. So it's like they just like pretended that it wasn't there. And I don't know if it's like they were used to so much activity at this point that it was just kind of like, meh, whatever. But I I just can't imagine just chilling. Yeah, like that's not the weirdest thing that's happened this week. So whatever. <laughs> so as they're icing Danny's hands... It stated that both of his hands swelled to the size of baseball gloves and then immediately went back to their normal size. Immediately? Immediately. So they like swelled up and then went back. No, that's weird. does not happen. No. Like in the normal medical world, that does not happen. No, I got my hand attacked by wasps one time and it was like a Mickey Mouse hand. Yeah. It's just huge swollen and it took... Like three days of Benadryl sleep, Benadryl sleep, Benadryl sleep Mm -hmm. to make it go down to regular. Inflammation does not go away that quick. So that is very odd. Super crazy. Yeah. So January 14th, 1976, on the last night inside the home, Danny and his brother Chris were in their beds when they began to move. They levitated when the beds began to lift upwards and then slam down onto the ground over and over, just like that damn garage door. George said at that moment, he could hear the bed slamming uh, around like from his room, but was being held down by an unseen presence and could do nothing about it. He also stated that Kathy had transformed into an old crone and began to levitate from their bed. He was able to move enough to grab her ankles to keep her from hitting the ceiling. Um, Apparently, Kathy's crone appearance took several hours to go away. I, I don't know how many demons it takes to lift beds or turn people into old crones, but this sounds like a plural situation. Yeah, like many. Yeah. Which is like another almond situation, right? Like the 200 demons situation. Yeah. Um, so George was able to finally move and he began to try to call Father Ray, but he kept getting nothing but static on the line. He then made his way into his office where he was able to get through to the father and he begged him to come back. Um, like immediately telling him that the blessing hadn't worked, which obviously now, yeah, now we're letting him know the blessing didn't work. Yeah. And they desperately needed another one. Father Frey expe- uh, expressed disbelief, uh, asking George why in the fuck they were still in the home. <laughs> uh, George said it was then that it clicked. They needed to get out of there. Like now at, th- at this it. point, seriously, this is the point where you're like, oh yeah, we should probably just get the fuck out of here. It took somebody else telling him. After all of it, like, your China is turning black, sir. You, like, <laughs> there are angry demon pigs chilling in the window, staring at you with their beady red fucking eyes. And this this right here is the moment you're like, yeah, I think we should go. Yeah, you got the sandwich slapping specter just sitting at your table. <laughs> and you're just going to be like, no, this is fine. But all of a sudden when the father's like, and you're still there and you're like, Oh, yeah, that's a good plan. Let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, let's let's go. So Kathy and George told the kids to get in the van. They were getting the fuck out of there. Um, all five of them loaded up 
into the vehicle, still in their pajamas, because, you know, this is the middle of the night. Sure. And they took off, leaving everything they owned behind. Do you they, think she still looked like an old crone? Uh, I don't know. I said a few hours. I don't so know. I don't know. Maybe. Um, so at this point, they had left, and they only lasted 28 days inside the Amityville home. Okay, so now they're out for good. Yeah. They had been 28 days, which doesn't seem like a lot, but being inside of a home dealing with all of that would seem like forever. Yeah. I mean, it's 28 days longer than I would have stayed. Yeah, 100%. So the Lutzes fled to the other side of the country, moving in with Kathy's mom, but George wasn't quite ready to let go of it. And if our story wasn't crazy enough, I feel like it's about to get even wilder. So buckle up even harder. Okay. So George and Kathy Lutz contacted a parapsychologist named Kaplan asking for help. It sounded like they wanted Kaplan to investigate the home. Now, you have to keep in mind that even though the story about the Lutzes wasn't big at this point, there were already reports that had been like begun to kind of spread that they had fled the Amityville home. Now, it wasn't being like heavily reported on, just kind of like questioning why they had left so quickly. And it wasn't hard to finally put together that there was a haunting situation going on. Kathleen agreed to help uh, George and Kathy, but did state that he would give the media his finds. So if he found a ghost, Mm -hmm. he was telling the reporters. If he didn't find a ghost, he was telling the reporters. Okay. And if he found the Lutzes were pulling a hoax, he was telling the reporters. All right. So Kaplan went to the newspapers and he informed them that he was going to be investigating the home. And three days later, George called him super pissed off. Apparently, George had previously told Kaplan that he wanted no publicity, which I don't know. It kind of seems weird considering Kaplan told George and Kathy up front that he was going to report his findings to the media. Yeah. So I don't know why George would be really pissed. I mean, do you think he just did it on his own and was like, I'm going to do it anyways? Well, check this out. Okay. During the conversation, George told Kaplan that the investigation was off for the time being and that they they might do it in a couple of weeks. Um, But then a new bit of news floated into Kaplan's ear. The morning that George called off the investigation, he'd done a press conference with Butch DeFeo's attorney, William Weber. What? Yeah. That's fucking weird, right? That's super weird. So not only was George claiming that he wanted no publicity and was doing a press conference, but why would George and Kathy be in contact with Butch DeFeo's defense attorney? Yeah. So it's said that George and Kathy contacted Weber to supposedly find out if DeFeo had experienced any of the same things that they had. And during this meeting, Weber announced that he'd been thinking about writing a book on the DeFeo murders and thought the Lutz's story would make his story more compelling. So one night, the Lutzes met up with Weber and began drinking wine, talking about what they'd gone through in the house. After the press conference, the Lutzes kind of went underground and no one could get in contact with them, which is kind of weird, I guess. I don't know why like they would go to this full extent of like doing a press conference and then disappear. It's a lot of questions. Yeah. So from my research, I could not find out what they were doing during this time. Like nobody knows. They were just MIA. But it was apparent they were still in contact with Weber because he was kind of acting as their spokesperson. Really? Yeah. So remember yesterday, whenever I was talking about a journalist that I would love to interview? Yes. Okay. 
She's about to come into play. All right. So there was a journalist working at the local news station, which was Channel 5, that was following the case, kind of along with everyone else, it seems. Okay. Now, her name it was Laura DiDio, and she was, like, super interested in the paranormal. She had conducted a few interviews with Ed and Lorraine Warren before they became household names. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a higher up at Channel 5 told Laura that they needed to get the Lutz's story. But because they were pretty much hiding, the news station couldn't get in contact with them directly. Had to go through Weber. Yeah. So Laura ended up contacting Weber to try to inquire about getting an interview with George and Kathy. Laura learned that the Lutzes had apparently told another local news station that he would give them an interview, and they were going to hold a seance in the home with several white witches and a vampireologist. Uh, oh, what's a vampireologist? I don't know. I'm assuming it's kind of like a demonologist, but vampire. I, there was never any mention of vampires in everything we just went over. I know. So... I, I don't know. No fucking clue. Okay. But Weber then told Laura, well, you might be able to go with them. And I think she kind of was like excited about that. But then things went silent. It came out that George and Kathy had decided they didn't want to work with Weber and their relationship had gone cold. Now with Weber out of the picture, Laura contacted George's work. She left a message and was surprised to get a call back from him. Okay. Uh, she told him that she had worked with paranormal researchers in the past and would like to help. Now, they agreed to meet on a Saturday afternoon at the surveying company that George owned. She met up with him and Kathy, and they talked for like four hours. Not and, a short period of time. Yeah. And Laura stated she walked away a believer, um, that the Lutzes were like super sincere and even appeared to be a bit scared. Really? Yeah. So around the time that George and Kathy began speaking to Laura, George presented a tape to her and playing it, uh, stating that he wasn't super proud of it. Okay. Now on this tape, the Lutzes were talking about heightening the paranormal activity that they had experienced to potentially make the story bigger. Uh, they would put the house in a trust and perhaps charge admission to enter the home and walk around. The biggest stipulation was that the kids could not be involved. He didn't want them involved, which, right. okay, that's a good thing. But like exaggerating the hauntings, not so good. Oh, you mean when you said uh, heightening, I I thought he was going to go, you know, draw pentagrams and. No, like, so they went and talked to him and they essentially were like, what happened to us was real, but like, we want to sensationalize it. We're going to make it seem like it was worse than it was. Gonna fluff it up. And then we're going to put the house essentially on tour. Okay, so turn it into some sort of paranormal attraction. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what was going on. That's kind of sketchy. Yeah. So at this point, George asked Laura if she was still willing to work with them. That their experiences were true. Laura said she had to make a determination if she believed uh, believed the Lutzes, and ultimately she did. Before the conversation with Weber, you know, on the tape, the Lutzes had made no move to profit from their experience and were for all intents and purposes in hiding. Okay. And I mean, I guess I understand her perspective on that. Like if you're coming forward out of the gate with like, hey, we had a plan to do some pretty like shitty things. And then you're like, all right, we pulled out because it was a bad idea. And now we're coming to you with like the, the full truth. I can respect that, but... It is still kind of throwing their sincerity into question. Oh, 100%. But this is the way that I kind of look at it. Let's say that we believe George and Kathy, like okay. 100% what they're saying. 
And they went through this horrible experience. They're just trying to figure out what happened. And they call this attorney because they genuinely want to know if the DeFeos, especially Butch, had experienced anything that they had experienced. Because right. remember, he had made all these claims that he was hearing voices and saw this he, uh, hooded demon. Black hooded demon, yeah. And so, you know, he was like, maybe, maybe he knows what's going on. Maybe the attorney can help us. So he goes and meets with them. They drink all this wine. So, like reportedly, it was like four bottles of wine between the three of them. All right. Um, and then I could only imagine that, you know, Weber was already in the works of wanting to make a book and he wanted to right. like profit off of this. So they're, they're drunk probably. And Weber's like, Hey, you know, if you kind of, you know, come in on this, we could make all this money and being drunk. I could see kind of like falling into it, especially sure. if you have an attorney, a fucking defense lawyer who like his whole job is to make a, a fucking jury believe yeah. even lies. I could I could see how that they could fall for it. Yeah, he he probably was pretty charismatic, pretty convincing. Right. So and then the fact that like he kind of came to his senses and like I, we're not going to work with him and then goes straight to Laura and is like I'm just going to I'm going to be straight up front with you. Here's the tape. We you know, even after hearing this the shittiest part that like the things that we've said and done, will you still work with us? Okay. There's something about that. If you look at it from that angle, that makes it a little bit more believable. Yeah. So Laura told them that she would work with them and said that they needed to be put in touch with someone who could help. The Lutzes agreed and Laura made the call to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Okay. I Speaking of which, we should... Probably do an episode on them in the future. Oh, I'm already on it. <laughs> so um, Ed and Lorraine Warren are super well-known in and out of the paranormal world. Now, they were paranormal investigators and demonologists, and Lorraine was a clairvoyant and light transmedium. Uh, so sometime later, Laura, the Warrens, and a reporter named Steve Bauman. Wait, hold on. What's a transmedium? It's like, okay, so I guess there's like different levels of being a medium, and a medium is somebody that can like connect with the dead, like moving between our world and like the spiritual world. Okay. So there's like different levels to it. I know. And we'll talk about her in a little bit. I'm trying not to get like too far ahead of ourselves. But do you remember the show, The Holzer Files? Yeah, I remember you watching that. Right. And do you remember Hans Holzer when they would play in the beginning and there was a woman talking on his tapes and she was like, my body, where is it? Yeah. Okay. She was like a heavy medium. I, I, I'm i sorry if that's not the right word. I can't, I can't remember the exact phrases, but she was like somebody that the dead could like control her vocal cords. And Lorraine wasn't that like up on the mediumship. Okay. Well fuck having the dead control my vocal cords that sounds awful right so i'm not like 100 percent educated on um all of the terms when it comes to clairvoyance and mediums and, and things like that so if there's a listener that knows like more about this than i do please email us and kind of uh educate us a little bit if you don't mind hell yeah we like to learn yeah so um Laura, the uh, the Warners, and a reporter named Steve Bauman were supposed to meet up with George to get the keys to the house, but George didn't show up. 
Laura stated that they went to a phone booth to call George and they could not get through to him. It was just phone static, which is weird because of George's claims of having the same thing happen to him when trying to get a hold of Father Ray. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's super crazy. Yeah. They apparently tried several phone booths and it was all the same. Really? Yeah. Lorraine stated that it was demonic interference. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, mean, I can. I, I'd buy it. Mm-hmm, I agree. So Laura also went on to say that technical difficulties were common at that time in association with the house and the Lutzes. So apparently this was just like an ongoing thing. So even after they left the house, communication with them was still difficult. That's the way that it seems. And Yeah. <laughs> they just can't win, right? No. You got out of the house and that bullshit is still following you? Yeah. Ugh. So Laura and the Warrens actually went to the police station because the police were keeping tabs on the house, which makes sense because there's nobody in it. And like, you know, the Lutzes had fled and there's like these rumors starting to kind of fly around. Right. So the chief of police called George and was able to get in touch with him. George then agreed to like meet up, uh, but he refused to step foot on the property. He just like absolutely said, no fucking thank you. I mean, I can't blame him. Yeah. He stated that even standing in the front yard would make him violently ill. Oh. Yeah. So they finally all met up and Ed began to talk to George, asking him like the details of what had happened to him in the house. But George was like really reluctant. Laura stated that George was not an easy person to interview and that him and Ed clashed really badly and that one of their meetings actually almost came to blows. Really? Yeah. I wonder what they were talking about. He almost fought Ed Warren, bro. Like, what was the topic of conversation where it was like, keep asking me these questions, fuck you up? I have no idea, but like, okay, obviously I've never met Ed and Lorraine Warren and I never will because, uh, you know, they passed away. Right. But I could not imagine meeting these people and it getting so bad that it would almost come to blows. Like, I know that you can't, like, know a person and, like, what they show on TV isn't 100%, I guess, probably who they are. But they seemed like really nice people. Yeah, I mean, unless he was being accusatory, like, what'd you do to cause this? I can't imagine that there's like... But George was also a very very violent man. I mean, he was known to be really aggressive. So I could could see him being like a dick to Ed, and Ed was like, yeah, I'm not putting up with that. Yeah, that's true. So without George, the others finally went into the home, and they were surprised to see like the state of the house. There were clothes strewn about. There was a gingerbread house still on the kitchen table, like food in the refrigerator. It literally looked like the Lutzes were just out for the day and not that they had essentially fled and weren't coming back. So how fast did this happen? Because like food would spoil, bugs. I think it was pretty, pretty quick. Okay. Um, so Lorraine told the others to stay quiet for a few minutes and meditate just to get themselves in a good mindset. Uh, Lorraine then offered Laura and Steve religious items because, you know, Lorraine and Ed were Catholic um, and both Laura and Steve accepted these items. Smart. When they entered the home, the Warrens told the others not to go wandering off to stay with her at all times. They had barely been in the home for a few minutes when Lorraine claimed she was struck with a very oppressive presence. Not surprised. So after touring the home, Lorraine stated that the worst parts of the home were the second floor sewing room, the third floor playroom, the Mm -hmm. basement closet, Mm -hmm. the kitchen, and the master bedroom on the second floor. Okay, so you got 
slap face blister hands room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got hundreds of flies room. Mm-hmm. You've got slappy sandwich specter in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think we heard anything about the basement. Sup- okay. Oh, um, and the bedroom is obviously old crone floating. I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't think that I've ever seen the Amityville movie, like the big one. But from what I've heard, um, the basement closet was like really blown up. And apparently it was like the red room of like death or torture or something. Oh. I'm sure somebody else that's actually seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. But I, I, I've never read anything to make that room like super famous like that. Okay. But yeah, apparently that was like one of the bad areas. Well, I mean, we got four stories in four different rooms of terrible things happening. So, I mean, the fact that she was like, boom, 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 boom. Well, I mean, I guess she also knew the story, but I, whatever. I don't I know. Don't know. Um, so it was in the master bedroom on the second floor that Lorraine went into a light trance. Lorraine stated that the water had to do with what was going on with the house. And she immediately picked up on the fact that Louise DeFeo, you know, the mother was slain in that room. Oh, and now you, I don't know how much Ed and Lorraine knew before going in, but from what I read, they did not know the full story. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that night, the story broke on Laura's news station, and they were flooded with calls. The Lutzes even called and said that they were wowed and impressed by what happened with the walkthrough. Laura was given the full exclusive for the story, and the Warrens asked again if they could sit down with the Lutzes to ask them what happened. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. So a dinner was scheduled for February 27th. Laura, the Warrens, Father Ray, and George and Kathy were present. Um, And as before, George was hella reluctant to give Ed any information. They just didn't like each other, huh? I guess not. It was reported that Ed was ready to, like, walk out before dinner was even served. Like, he was ready to just get the fuck out. He was like, I'm done with this, dude. Okay. Eventually, it seems that Father Ray was able to smooth out the situation enough that the Lutzes finally began to start opening up. So the next night, George called Laura's home, but she wasn't there. It's reported that he ended up talking to her mother for like 30 minutes. About what? We don't know. And Laura even says that she doesn't know. That's super odd. But what came of that conversation was George asking Laura to meet him that night. Okay. So she showed up to his house around 10 p.m. And... Like, I I guess the Lutzes kind of began to, like, open up even more. They apparently played her more tapes from their meeting with Weber and asked her advice of what they should do. So they were essentially like, look, this is what happened. You know, we don't want to work with Weber. We cut it off. But, like, he's kind of still going on about the book and stuff. Like, how do we get out of this? Okay. And apparently, uh, the I think it was... I think it was Kathy's sister and like her brother-in-law or maybe it was her brother and sister-in-law. I didn't write this down. So I'm kind of like free, kind of, you know, free flowing this. Um, apparently they had been in the house and they were telling Laura that they were, they had had like all these paranormal expense, uh, experiences in that home too. Really? Yeah. I can't remember. It was such a small detail. Um, and I don't even think they kind of like laid out what they experienced, but apparently they, they were trying to tell about their stuff too. This is a really wild story with a lot of, you know, just twists and turns. And there's a lot of people yeah, and like working parts kind of like weaving in and out. It's, it's just, there's so much. 
So George was uh, reportedly very high strung. The whole thing was taking its toll and they kept holding on to the fact that everything that they had experienced was real. So they were like, look, we know that talking to Weber, we kind we look, we kind of, you know, said that we were going to elevate some stuff and maybe run a haunted house, but we really did like get fucked by these demons. Right. I mean, they've, Flood the house after they purchased it you with know. everything. They yeah. they left with nothing. It's not like they packed their bags carefully. Like they nope. just everything up and left. They up and left in their night clothes. Yeah. Um. So the haunting at Amityville was gaining more and more attention, but the story still wasn't super huge yet. Laura and the others decided that they were going to conduct a seance in the home and pretty much record the entire thing. It was going to end up being a full-blown paranormal investigation documented for TV. I feel like this just is going to go south. Yeah. So on March 6th, that seance was held. Oh, boy. What happened? It was like a madhouse. The Lutzes had taken it upon themselves to invite people to come into the home that night. Really? Yeah. The Warrens had invited some people. They, like, invited, you know, uh, psychics and clairvoyants, which I get. People who they want to be there to help suss stuff out. Right. And, of course, there was, like, a whole news crew there. So, all in all, there was about 20 people present, which didn't make for an ideal seance condition. Sure. So, but regardless of how many people were there, it was going to happen. Okay. After entering the home toward the beginning of the night, an investigation was started, and all, like, the psychics and the demonologists and the clairvoyants and news crew people began to walk the home. Uh, there was a journalist there named Marvin Scott, which is... He's a pretty well-known dude. Okay. Him and Laura stated that the entire night, they didn't feel anything. But really? the others in the home were definitely experiencing some things. There was a Channel 5 cameraman that stated he was going to go upstairs and have a look around. He got five steps up before he turned to one of the psychics and to Laura and said, there is a room upstairs. The, the second door on the right, it's a room filled with mirrors. And what? he, he kind of seemed shocked. And he followed up with, I don't know why I know that. That's super weird. So Laura knew that was that... It, was, was it full of mirrors? So Laura knew that that room was the DeFeo parents' room. And she was she was shocked because the cameraman was technically correct. The wall behind the bed was like a wall of mirrors. Oh, I don't like that. So right before the cameraman got to the second floor landing, his face turned red and he doubled over, grasping his chest. He was experiencing severe palpitations and chest pains. Now, this is a man who had no previous cardiac conditions. He stated that he was overcome by something. He just couldn't explain what. So he had a demonic heart attack. Yeah, well, that's what they thought. They thought that this dude was having a heart attack. But he didn't. But it was nothing. It was nothing. But it was caused by demons. So it was a demonic artist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess that makes <laughs> sense. So right after he recovered from the chest pains, a psychic becomes seriously ill and was taken upstairs to rest. There were a few people that were going around the home and were antagonizing the house mm. and any spirits there. Nope. They were trying to like draw things out and piss them off. Like, I don't know if they were trying to get things going for the cameras or what, but it made the Warrens really mad. Ed confronted them and told them that they needed to go. After this, the seance finally began. 
Lorraine at first was channeling nothing but a large, dark mass. She appeared as though she was straining to see something, like almost as if she was trying to see a mass from a distance. Okay. Um, She stated that certain people gave the force in the home energy, and George was definitely one of them. I can believe that. Lorraine also stated that she saw an elderly clergyman in a dark garb who uses like old rituals and that he would be the one to get rid of the force in the house, but it would take three times to do it. That's a super weird vision. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a spirit. I I don't think, I think she was like seeing a, like a person, like a real person. And like, that's the dude you need to find. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's not a very, you know, detailed description, but sure. Yeah. So George was spiritually warned at this point to leave the home before something really bad befell his family, which he was already gone. But I, I'm assuming that they meant like he can't come back. Like yeah, you got to separate cannot, entirely. Yeah, you got to like break. Um, and the force apparently had to be banished before anyone else could live there, which, yeah. Duh. Yeah. Um, One of the psychics that Lorraine had invited was seated at the other end of the table, and she began to scream, it's in the second floor bedroom. She then began to experience uh, heart palpitations and was gasping for air, just like the cameraman. Demonic heart attack number two. Yeah. Um, Another psychic said there was like a subtle but persistent component in the home, which provoked a tall, thin man who had lived there in the late 1800s. I don't know why the phrase tall, thin man is just creepy, but it is. I always go back to like the hat man every time, like every time that there's something like that going on. I just, that's where my brain goes. Like Slenderman? Yeah. That's a. Oh, yeah. mm -mm. Like, could you imagine just seeing Slenderman walking around your house? No, thanks. Except in 1800s garb. Oh, no. (laughs) That sounds horrible. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. No. So the seance was ramping up and psychics were like being super affected. It was legit taking a toll on them all. uh, Ed actually halted the seance, saying that the psychics were being affected too wildly. He was like, we can't keep going. Like, this is over. Really? Yeah. That's pretty heavy for like, you know, someone who is supposed to be like, this is their profession to be like, Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we got to, we got to. This is over the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, right then, one of the guests ran from the home and got sick on the front lawn. What? Yeah. Like, I know, like, okay, Laura and Marvin Scott were just like, we're not experiencing anything. And, I mean, people can just say things. I get that. But yeah. you cannot fake heart palpitations and, like, chest pain and, like, getting red and getting sick. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's hard to fake vomiting on the front lawn. Yeah. Okay, so at this point, they split up, like, again and began searching through the house like they did when they first got there. But with less people this time. Yeah, less people. Um, Marvin Scott pulled Laura off to the side and told her that they didn't have it. It wasn't like the poltergeist experience they were after. What? Yeah, because you got to remember, they're from the news. So they're looking for, like, things flying around and, you know, things crashing down to the floor, whatever. The whole it factor thing. Right. Yeah. So I guess, like, as a a last-ditch effort to make something happen that could be shown on the camera, they went upstairs into the sewing room. Marvin tried to conduct another mini-seance with Lorraine because, you know, Lorraine thought that that room was, like, the source of a lot of the evil. Okay. But it still wasn't the poltergeist activity Marvin was looking for. Like, he was dead set on just trying to, I don't know, 
piss something off and make it do stuff. I don't know. Yeah, he wanted to get the demon pig on camera. Correct. Lorraine, though, was, like, very affected by this room, which turned out to be Butch DeFeo's old room. Ugh. Yeah. Um, she stated that she felt whatever the presence was had come from the bowels of the earth. And she stated, I hope this is as close to hell as I ever get. Yeah, I would not want to hear somebody say that at and all. Here, here's my thought process on this. Think of how much, like how much time Butch spent in this room. Right. Like, think about how much time you spend in your bedroom. And we're talking about a man that was very violent very aggressive, on drugs, on alcohol, having really negative thoughts, wants to kill his parents. I can imagine that he's just sitting in his room every day, just yeah, brooding. And potentially and, talking to demons and stuff. Yeah. And then now you have almost like the residual of that in this yeah. room. Or maybe even worse because there's nothing for it to grip onto. Yeah. So Lorraine also believed that the negative force at Amityville was able to operate through inanimate objects. She even pointed to a few things that the Lutzes had said um, they'd had issues with while they were living there. Like uh, the rocking chair and stuff? Mm-hmm. And yeah. apparently there was like a lion painting on a wall. It was like a picture or painting or something. And apparently they just had had weird things happen with this picture. Like what? Just I don't know. random... Weird painting stuff? It didn't say. They just said that, like, I just read that they'd had problems with this painting. Well, now I'm curious. Yeah. Um, So there was a stationary camera set up on a tripod on the second floor landing, and it would snap a photo every few minutes. Later, when the pictures were developed, they were shocked as fuck to see that there was a young child peeking out of Missy's door, looking at the camera. Now, there were no children at, in the house that night, so... What? Yeah. That's super fucking creepy. You want to see the picture? Yeah. I'm just going to... I'm legit going to show it to you because... Dude, what? I know. It's 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 a fucking child. Like, yeah. there is no denying that that is, a, a, like, a person. It definitely looks like a child, but I feel like somewhere inside me, I feel like that's not a child at all. Yeah, no. no I Obviously, it's, like, not, like, a living person and probably not, like, a dead person <laughs> either. Yeah, so it just, it, something about it just feels off. It is a very, very odd picture. Yeah. So George later stated that Missy told him that was her friend that she used to play with in the home. That's the demon pig. No. Yes. This was a different... It's the same thing, (laughs) just in a different appearance. Well, to her, her explanation was that it was a separate entity, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same thing. Demon pig mask. (laughs) Like, it's just a child parading around with, like, a demon pig mask, but he's a demon himself. That's right. This is fucking getting really (laughs) fucking weird. (laughs) So after the night ended, everyone dispersed, taking with them their own personal encounters. Yeah. Lorraine later said that Ed never truly recovered from that case. Dude, that's a party with some some party favors that you just don't want to hold. Take home with you. Yeah. So now we're going to fast forward to January 13th, 1977. Hans Holzer, a very famous parapsychologist, came into the home to investigate. He brought with him his transmedium Ethel Johnson Myers, Laura, and Weber into the home. Oh, Weber's there now. Yeah. So during the session, Laura stated that Ethel developed an Adam's apple, 
and her voice dropped several octaves. She began to speak strangely, stating that she was talking to a Native American chief who had been buried on the land that the house sat on. She developed an Adam's apple. Yeah. And there are videos of Ethel um, during investigations with Hans. And you've heard some of the recordings from the Holzer files like we were talking about earlier. And her voice like sounds so strange when that's, she does these sessions. That's weird. really weird. Yeah. So Ethel was quoted to have said this was a sacred place with a very, very special chief. Laura said she did a ton of research on the home and the original house had been moved to its current location and there was a native burial ground where the house now stood. Now, I looked into this. Okay. I couldn't find anything about that house being moved. Really? I don't know if she just like found something that I didn't or like she actually got like archives that I can't get. Yeah. But I can't find anything stating that that house was moved. Hmm. Now, as far as like the native burial grounds, that's not like super unusual, unfortunately. There are native burial grounds in like many, many places all over the states. So it isn't too hard to believe that the Amityville home could stand on one. All right. That's fair. Um, Ethel stated that the chief was angry over his land, and he was making the men of the home do bad things in order to gain it back. Uh, They did an EVP and caught a native child saying that he was upset because local kids had found his skull and were kicking it around like a fucking ball. I can see why that would upset, you know, a dead spirit. If that is true, if I was that native child, I would be pissed I don't know why you would use a skull for a kickball. That's not the right shape for a a ball. Well, here's the thing. Most people wouldn't do that. Most people would see a skull and probably freak out. But there are people out there that are fucking assholish enough to do that. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, is it true? I don't don't know. But it's not impossible. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna circle full back to Danny Lutz. Um, it's obvious that Danny had no quarrels with letting people know that he held no love for George, and Danny blames him for a lot of what was happening inside the Amityville home. So in December of 1977, a parapsychologist by the name of Ron came into the home and states that there was a lot of ritual magic going on, either in the past, current, or both. He didn't know. Okay. So, what's, what's ritual magic? Just like practicing rituals? Yeah, and with like magical intent. But he thinks it he thinks it's dark. So the the black magic was giving psychological issues to the people in the home along with hallucinations. Yeah. So he's like thinking that there's like really bad shit going on inside this house. Yeah. Either in the past or present or both. Okay. So according to Danny, George was a, a reportedly non-practicing Methodist but he was secretly into the occult. Really? Yeah. He supposedly had a wide range of books on like transcendental meditation, satanic histories, books on mind control and hypnosis. And he was, as Danny put it, into some really dark shit. Okay. So that's uh, that's some new information. Yeah. One day, Danny states he took down one of the satanic books reading about virgin sacrifice when his mom came in and hit him on the head, telling him to put the book back and to not touch George things. That's not really awkward and disturbing at all. Dude, virgin sacrifice? That's some 
that's some real dark stuff for reals. That's when I read that, I was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what? Even if you were just like, oh, you know, it's for casual reading. Well, that's not something you keep around just to, you know, I'm not learn about, I guess. Yeah. I'm not going to put down anybody for like their, their, whatever religion they choose to, to follow or the practices they do, or even, you know, their, uh, search for knowledge. But I I just don't understand why anybody would want to keep something about virgin sacrifice. There's something about that that just makes me feel weird. Yeah, for sure. There have been speculations that George's secret interest in the occult and his suspected practices in it led to something dark happening in the home. Now, was it possible that George summoned something evil? Or had it always been there and George made it worse? Yeah, I mean with everything that happened with the DeFeos, it's fair to say that there could have been something there and George just kind of kicked it up. But yeah, I don't think that he played zero part in it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's pretty much how I feel too. So the house eventually went into foreclosure and George and Kathy ended up doing a year long tour. They went on talk shows and gave interviews and even worked with Jay Anson, who wrote the book Amityville Horror. It came out September of 1977 and the Lutzes gained about 250 to $300,000 for their part in the book. Wow. That's a lot of money, especially in the seventies. But that book sold millions and millions of copies. So Jay Anson just banked it like way more than what the Lutzes got. Wow. Yeah. Um, so after the book came out is when the story blew up, like for reals blew up. Okay. And the movie was released on July 27th, 1979. Okay. So pretty quickly after the book comes out. Right. So like your home is supposed to be your safe place, but Amityville kind of destroyed that for people. They were scared, but more than that, they were fucking curious. So the Amityville house became almost like a carnival. People were coming by the thousands to see this place. Really? They were camping out on the block. There were even reports of people tearing pieces off of the house and like pieces of the lawn to keep as souvenirs. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, they were legit going nuts over this. Now, eventually the publicity died down just a bit. And now today the house is on its fifth residence since the Lutzes vacated the property. There have been no reports of anything paranormal from any of them. Huh. Yeah. Like n- nobody had, like they've been asked. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, there's nothing here. Do you think that mysterious dark cloaked religious figure came and cleansed the house the three times? I thought about this a lot whenever I was researching it. And I was like, why would that be? Like if, if all of this is true, like truly this is true. hundred percent true. Sure. Why would that be? And the only thing that I can think of is either like, a, Ed and Lorraine Warren were able to get rid of what was in that home. Okay. Or whatever was in that home had like latched upon really violent people. And unfortunately, the house kind of got hit back to back with DeFeo and, and George Lutz. And once they left, the next residents came in and weren't violent and weren't aggressive. And yeah. there was nothing, you know for those, I guess, demonic entities to latch onto. Sure. That's really all I can come up with. I, I like the third one. So that it makes me think that if there's there's good people around, you know, terrible demons, 
then you're okay because they're only going to latch on to really shitty people and feed off those situations. So the flip to that, though, is that means demons could still be chilling in the basement. Mm -hmm. And the next time somebody violent or somebody unstable comes in. It could start all over again. Yeah, just relights the match. And I, I think about it sometimes because, once again, if this is true, and they stayed in that home for 28 days... And the DeFeos lived in that house for like nine years. Yeah. Um. So if the Lutzes had stayed for, I don't know, however much longer, is it possible that George might have killed his whole family? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Kathy and George divorced back in 1988, but both stayed vigilant about the hauntings that they underwent in the Amityville home. Uh, Kathy died due to emphysema in 2014 and George from heart disease in 2006. Uh, both Chris and Danny continue to claim that what they experienced in the home was something paranormal. Yeah. Even to this day, they still are like, there There was something there. Okay. So, I mean, was this all made up? Did George and Kathy do like all of this to develop a money-grabbing scheme or was the house that stands on Ocean Avenue filled with something dark, something that might still slumber, waiting to come out and play once again? I think it was real. I mean, it, there's a lot of reasons why you could poke holes in situations and be, you know, look for that thread to start tugging on and see what else comes out. But I think at the end of it, there is enough there to make me uh, believe. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic. But I like to try and find the reasons to make things not real. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it does make me feel safer if I can be like, no, nah, that's bullshit. Yeah, for sure. But for this one, I think it was real. And I think that the third option we discussed a few minutes ago is probably the best explanation for why it's not currently kicking inactive. So for me, I think that it's also real, but I think that it's also been over sensationalized. I think that there's things that happen that didn't really happen. I did Now, do I think that like this house wasn't haunted at all? I don't think that. I think there was something truly there. I really do. I think, I don't personally think that DeFeo was overtaken by demons and that he killed his family because these demons were telling him to do it. I, I just personally don't think that. I think DeFeo, like Butch DeFeo was a monster and sure. I think he was just violent and he had been coddled and he killed his family. Okay. And I think from something from that, I think there was a darkness created in this home. And then George comes in, he's a violent person. And they, I think he fed this demon, the demon fed on him. Like truly, that's what I think. And if he was truly into the occult, I think he just opened a door that might have already been cracked. Yep. Like he just swung it wide open. But I, I just, there's things in the story that I just find kind of hard to believe, just personally. And I always keep a very open mind when it comes to the paranormal. Yeah. Like, and you know that. Mm -hmm. Between the two of us, if there's something out there, I'm probably going to be a bigger believer than you. Agreed. But there's just, I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. And I, I always generally follow my gut. But I do think that there was something fucked up going on in that house. I really do. I can dig it. I, th I, I agree with you. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's just my thoughts, you know? And I mean, people can make up their own mind about this house if they think it's all bullshit. Yeah. If only some of it's bullshit or it's all real. You know, that's that's kind of, you know, the, the fun part of paranormal. 
is kind of deciding for yourself. You're always going to have skeptics and people who don't believe. Um, and that goes for anything, but uh, not just the paranormal, but like conspiracy theories and everything else. You got yeah. people who believe a hundred percent and you got people who, regardless of, you know, the evidence in play, they're like, no, nah, it's bullshit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it, I think you're right. And it probably could have been one of those weird telephone games where things got blown out of proportion. And once the ball was rolling, they couldn't, you know, put it back in the box. I think the Lutzes started out um, really kind of like freaked out over what they experienced. And they, I think they kind of got the idea in their head of making this a thing and making money. Mm. And I think in the end, whenever they helped Jay Anson write that book, I think is kind of whenever it kind of took off a little bit. Right. Um, but you know, who knows? We never know. We were not in that house. I have never been inside the Amityville house and I probably never will be because it's a private residence and they don't want, yeah. they don't like the publicity that that house gets. They I've, do not like the fact that it is as popular as it is. I have not been in that inside that house either. So we'll, we'll truly never know. And that's kind of where we leave it. And that's, that is the Amityville horror. It's kind of fun to leave it on a question mark. Yeah, for sure. I would like, like I said, I would like to believe that it's all real, but I have, I have some doubts and that's just what it is. I think that's okay. Yeah, for sure. So um, if you, if you want to look like heavily into this case, there is (laughs) as much as I researched and as much time as I put into this, there are, like I said before, there are so many rabbit holes and you will just spend so many hours just going down them if you so choose. And if you've got the time, do it. Because it is, this story is just wild. Crazy interesting. Yeah. But anyways, I guess that's that's all I got. That is it for me. Yeah. And I think this has uh, been a pretty interesting evening for us. I think it has too. And I really hope that, you know, hearing about the Lutzes and the haunting side of the Amityville house gave you some chills, especially on Halloween. And I hope that you're able to go to bed after this. I know uh, I'm going to be up for a little bit longer because I need to shake out some of the jitters. Yeah, uh, shake out that angry demon pig. Yeah, angry birds demon pig. (laughs) That's it. Uh, We would love if y'all would follow us on our social medias, uh, Instagram at Paraffin Podcast, Facebook Paraffin Podcast. We have our website up, paraffinepodcast.com. And, you know, obviously we always love hearing from y'all. So if you want to send us a listener story or a video evidence, or you just want to say, hey, or you want to send us like your local cryptid or something, please email us at spiritboard at paraffinepodcast.com. Or if you have your own experience with the Amityville house or any of the stuff we've talked about over the past two episodes. Yes, please. We would love to hear that. For sure. Especially the knowledge that we were talking about, like some kind of education on like mediumship and psychics and clairvoyance, because I just, I don't know all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, real quick, we have decided to launch a TikTok. Yep. Going to make some videos and uh, just trying to keep making some more content. Yeah. And I mean, we're just having so much fun with this and, you know, we're kind of trying to build up the socials so that we can bring you even funner stuff. So uh, the TikTok is paraffin podcast. And uh, right now, like we just made it today, so we don't have any videos up. But by the time that this launches on Halloween, hopefully there'll be one or two on there for you. 
Yep. If our schedule is low, we want to get some more stuff out there. Yeah. But regardless, please go check us out over there and give us a follow. Yep. And while you're at it, uh, if you feel so inclined, like, review, subscribe, uh, leave us a comment and uh, share this with your friends, families, and strangers on the street. Yes, please do that because it helps us grow. And we just, we really want to grow, guys, because we want to keep doing this. And it just, like I said before, we, we love it. So thank you for sh- spending some of your uh, Halloween evening with us. Yeah. We'll see you on Tuesday. Yeah. Until next time.